So David Rab is an authority in the field of customer data platforms. He's been talking about it, advising companies on their marketing and customer data practices before most of us even started to hear about these things. He probably coined the term of CDP. The ease with which he breaks down the whole concept of data lakes, data warehouses, customer data platforms, and how they are deployed is quite commendable. Listen to this conversation to understand how CDPs have to be chosen, what differentiates one CDP from the other, what constitutes a good CDP, and how should you choose one for yourself. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this, David. It's been an exciting uh, stage at which we are in terms of the podcast. This is the first time I'm doing this online. Normally, we try to do it in person. But that's where we kind of got the start. Those together because I don't know when you'll be in India next. But CDP has become such a, such, a, such a central topic to a lot of conversations. I thought it's really a good idea to have somebody who's been doing this for 35 years, maybe a little more, uh, to talk about it. You know, So maybe just as a starting point of the conversation, just... Tell us what is a CDP, really. Let's just start from the basics. Okay, so the very, very basics, CDPs build profiles. So the formal definition is a CDP is packaged software that builds a unified, persistent profile that's accessible to other systems. So it's not just that they build profiles. It's that they're packaged software, so you buy it, you don't build it. And you, could, you could build a data warehouse that has custom profiles, and that could even work for you, but it's not a CDP. Uh, unified, persistent customer database. So takes unified takes data from all sources. Persistent, the CDP stores the data in its own database, which could mm -hmm. use the same technology as a data warehouse, but because the data has to be formatted in a certain way, it, it usually pulls it out into a separate data store. Um, and customer database kind of implies, it's not obvious, but in, in, in our definition, we say you have to take all data sources, you have to retain all the detail, and you have to store it as long as necessary. So again, there are some fairly specific attributes that we say we look for a little checklist uh, before we'll call something a CDP. And the other requirement, which again is not immediately, and then accessible to other systems, means sure. the CDP shares its data usually through an API and more specifically we require real-time access at least to individual profiles so mm -hmm. you can pull a, a customer profile back into a personalization tool or into a call center tool something like that in real time uh, and we also require that it be able to react in real time to events like a drop shopping cart so you have, be, have to be able to read streaming data so we as I say have a fairly specific set of requirements before we'll call something a CDP. People out in the world, they're like, yeah, it's got customer data. It must be a CDP, which unfortunately, the problem with that, of course, is then somebody says, oh, I have a CDP. And, and then they know that CDPs are supposed to be used for all these things. And then they find something that their CDP doesn't support. And they get all mad because they oh, CDPs are nonsense. Like, well, no, you don't really have a CDP in the first place. You have something you thought was a CDP, but it didn't meet our requirements, and therefore it wasn't able to deliver on the things that you needed. So that's why we get a little cranky about people who use the term loosely. It's not because we're proprietary. It's because we think that users are misled when that happens. Interesting. And in terms of the major milestones of the early sold concept of CDP, how has the major blocks, you know, you've been watching this space for a fairly long time, and that spans decades. 
How has the CDP evolved over all of this period? Well, it's evolved probably the most in several ways, of course. Um, the market's gotten more mature. There's more of them, so they now differentiate. So, you know, originally the CDPs really were about building profiles. Uh, and sure. if you go back and look at the oldest CDPs, that's pretty much all they did. Um, mm-hmm. Since then, a lot of the vendors have added additional functionality to the point today where three quarters of the systems that we classify as CDPs actually have activation capabilities like campaign management or interaction mm-hmm. management uh, or journey orchestration or other functionalities that are really separate entirely from the mm-hmm. profiles. They simply make use of the profiles. Uh, and of course, the people who have that in their system say, oh, well, CDP should have this as part of the definition as well. Um, we disagree with that only because you can buy very good tools to do that that are separate from CDPs. And the whole point yeah. of a CDP is you can hook it up. So we don't feel that needs to be a core uh, functionality of the CDP. So the market is kind of split to some degree into systems that only build the profiles and then share them and don't do anything else. And that's maybe 17%. Uh, and then ones that actually have the activation functionality, which is about sure. 75%. And the, the other missing, whatever it is, 8% are ones that build profiles and also have analytical capabilities like predictive modeling, but not any other activation. So that's one big trend over time. Is, and and the, the, the campaign guys have kind of grown in share uh, over time. The other splits that we see are more industry-specific CDPs, so CDP for financial, CDP for hospitality, CDP for telco, and so on. Each of those industries has its own needs, so not surprisingly, we find that each of those industries uh, tends to have its CDPs, and those also tend to be systems that are providing a broader range of functionality as they're trying to do as much as they can for those vendors. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, you know, they have specialist connectors. There's a lot of good reasons to, to have a vertical CDP. Um, so those are probably the two biggest trends. Uh, you know, there are others in terms of, again, more more uh, fragmentation of the market in terms of company size mm-hmm. and so on. But let's go with those two as the main ones. So, David, uh, you know, there's other terms like the DMP and the CRM, which gets thrown around in equal measure. Would you be able to simple terms uh, tell us what is the difference really? Okay, so it comes back to that definition, right? The CDP meets those criteria. uh, And those other ones don't. So a CRM rarely ingests external data. CRMs basically work with the data that the CRM creates either through its call center or its its, uh, sales interactions or, you know, direct interactions through the CRM system. Most CRMs are very poor at importing data. Most CRMs are also very poor at exporting data. So they kind of fail on a number of, of our criteria. Uh, you know, not to say that they're bad at what they do, but they just do something mm-hmm. different. Uh, and technically, they're designed to be good at that. And you, it's a different uh, technical design. Uh, okay. DMPs, again, really built primarily to manage cookies. Uh, mm-hmm. And the way you manage cookies is you summarize the data for quick response because you're typically mm-hmm. managing hundreds of millions, even billions of cookies. So sure. you really have to design that to optimize efficiency of the data process and so you throw away detail and remember that was one of the key requirements of the cdp is to not throw away detail now what's happened with dmp in particular uh not so much in the u.s but outside the u.s both in in uh, EMEA and in apac is cdp is dmps were sold 
as, oh, this is your, your first-party customer data store. Uh, so they made a lot of claims about being able to do kind of anything with the data. And then it turned out that because they throw away details and stuff, there really was actually quite limited in what you could do with mm -hmm. the data. So unfortunately, what's happened uh, is often people will start talking about CDP and will, the buyer will say, wait, I heard those same promises from the DMP people five years ago or 10 years ago. And right. why should I believe you? Right? You know, I've been lied to once. Um, so the DMP market really is collapsing uh, because third-party cookies, of course, are going away. Right. And a lot of the DMP vendors are trying to now become CDPs. Uh, and some of them have actually re-engineered their product, yeah. which is okay, you know, to make it do what a CDP is supposed to do. Uh, mm -hmm. Some of them, I rather suspect, just change the label and not change the product. And again, uh, it's up to the buyer to make sure that they know what they're getting. So generally speaking, the buyers would continue to remain confused about some of these things, right? Yeah, yes. Buyers definitely get confused. That's one of the big complaints you'll hear if you about the CDP market is, oh, it's very confusing. Yeah. Um, and, and it is, <laughs> certainly. Yeah. I think uh, yeah, we think this happening uh, all the time in India where somebody with some set of tools will claim themselves to be CDP. And then most of uh, the platforms here would also end up offering the activation and campaign management components. But it's very hard to draw a line on what actually completely meets the criteria of what you define as a CDP. And, you know, David, getting to the use cases side of things, you spoke about the vertical CDPs specific to industries. But is there any other way to classify different CDPs? Are there more kinds of CDPs? Well, we classify them by the scope of functionality, as I was just saying. You know, some only do data, some do data plus analytics, some do data plus analytics plus outbound campaigning. Yeah. Some do data analytics, outbound campaigns, and real-time interactions. And then there are CDPs that are actually embedded in an operational system, like say an e-commerce platform, where the system does a lot of things and oh, by the way, has a CDP. And as long as it ticks all of our boxes, we would consider that a CDP. Uh, but, you know, if you're buying an e-commerce platform, probably the CDP capabilities are fairly far down on your list of requirements. So it's, it's a different buying process. Um, and, and again, people have to be aware. And, you know, if, you, if you're going to run everything through one system, you're going to buy, say, an e-commerce platform that's going to do everything for you. Then the ability to ingest external data is less important, yep. but you're still yep. going to have website data. You're still going to have data that's not captured in even the e-commerce platform. So you do have to make sure that you do, in fact, get uh, a system that can import that external data, can build profiles with it appropriately by unifying it, by uh, mm. you know, applying a, a shared customer ID, and then can share that out to other systems. Because let's say you're sitting in an e-commerce platform, well, there's probably going to be some analytical tools or reporting tools or even message delivery tools that you want to use that are not part of that platform. And you want to make sure that not only that you can connect with them, but you can connect with them with all that data available to do whatever you want to do. Sure. So in some sense, the kind of data that you typically expect to bring into a CDP will typically all be first party data, maybe second party data as well, but all connected to a unified customer view. Is that a safe thing to say? It is a safe thing to say. Most CDPs will only ingest data if there's a customer ID attached. Okay. Okay. And that, that's, that can be a bit of an issue because mm. let's say I'm an e-commerce vendor and I want to ingest my product catalog. Sure. Or I'm a retailer and I want to ingest my list of retail stores. 
True. Well, it doesn't have a customer ID attached, which those things don't, can be a bit of a problem. So some of the CDPs uh, have modified themselves so they can ingest yeah. that kind of data as well. The majority, I would say, probably if not. Uh, that's one of the places where, say, a data warehouse comes in handy because that's a good place to store that. Uh, and then one of the trends, the more recent trends in the CDP market is the ability to actually go out and read that external data. So go out and query the data warehouse or the product information system or the store directory or whatever system it is right. that has information that's not in the CDP and then join that up uh, in real time mm-hmm. as you need it so you can make use of it. So that's actually an important trend. Uh, in, in the industry right now. But again, not every system can do, but more and more systems can do. So in some sense, the definition of CDP will still remain what it was earlier, but people are coming up with all sorts of, let's say, enhancements on the same core and which they're now starting to call as a new standard of CDP. In some sense? Yeah, in some sense, that's right. Again, we're, we've been very um, uh, reluctant to change our definition. Right. We did add some of the real-time stuff, actually. It wasn't yeah. in the original definition. Uh, we mm. kind of scratch our head about the access to external data bits. Um, so far, I'm not willing to say that it's absolutely required, but it's certainly a useful thing to have. And as I say, more and more of the vendors are adding it. Um, so at some point, if it becomes very common, we'll probably build it into the, bring it into the core definition as well. Uh, certainly a useful feature. It's one of the advantages that data warehouses have. So. Yeah, uh, you want to be able to take advantage of that. So now from an application's perspective, typically a CDP will end up being a great place to do a certain amount of analytics and the base for marketing. Is there a typical use case that you imagine which is beyond uh, these two subjects? Yeah, you know, the CDP can be an enterprise level data resource. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, talk, going back to our trends, the CDPs that focus just on the data management tend to be sure. enterprise level systems. Uh, an okay. IT department right by. So once you have that enterprise-wide access, things like your customer support team uh, wants access to the CDP data. Uh, even your product team wants to analyze how products are being used and where people are running into problems in their journeys with the product. Your logistics people, your inventory people, you know, there are actually a lot of, lot of people in the company who would have good use for customer data. So once you make it available in the CDP, mm-hmm. those people sort of tend to pop up and say, oh, wow, this is great. I could use this. Uh, sure. So even though it you know, often starts in marketing, sales, I, I forgot to mention sales, but obviously sales also has a great deal sure. of use for it. Interesting. Now, in some sense, uh, it's still considered a part of the MarTech stack for the most part, right? Is that the fair, let's say, boundaries around a CDP? Yeah. Um, in, mo- in most cases, it's going to be in the MarTech stack. It's really the foundation of the MarTech stack. And your varying MarTech tools will use it as their primary data source. Uh, of course, if it's an enterprise-level resource, mm-hmm. then that's not really the MarTech stack anymore. That's whatever the enterprise architecture yeah. is. Um, but you know, that's still probably the exception. Uh, you know, most enterprises, they have warehouses, they have data lakes, they have what they don't usually have at the enterprise level are the customer profiles. Mm-hmm. They don't usually do the unification uh, because most warehouses simply weren't designed for that. It's not that a warehouse can't do it. It's simply that's not well, the use case for the warehouse, so they didn't build it in. And again, that's changing. The warehouse people have recognized that. And so we see more and more uh, companies that have... Uh, offered a cloud database that now has an identity resolution capability, usually as a third-party tool, and that's fine. 
So if you are going to use, and could you tell me the, the differentiation between a data lake and a data warehouse then? Difference between a data lake and a data warehouse. So a data lake is simply a repository where you keep a copy of your data from your source systems in the same okay. format as the source systems. So you literally just okay. dump it in. And you don't, sure. you don't do any, you know, don't do any quality, you don't do anything, just it's just there. It exists only so that analysts can get at that data without having to query the source systems directly, because yeah. querying the source systems can slow down the performance of the source system. So you just source systems are typically production systems which are potentially customer facing, which have yeah. performance implications. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can mess up your performance. And also, you know, uh, you would have to grant them access rights, and it's much easier to grant access rights to a data lake. To one data lake than to a whole bunch of different source systems. So there's you know, sure. data, data lakes for serve purpose. Data warehouse takes the source data either directly or from the data lake and then does process it. So data warehouses are built primarily for analytical purposes. The traditional use was financial analysis. So they would summarize the data along financial lines. So by product, mm-hmm. by retail outlet, not usually by customer, although some of them mm-hmm. did. Um, and, and then make that available often in uh, relational databases and star schemas so that a business intelligence tool could analyze it uh, or sometimes so that a uh, data scientist could pull the data out and roll it into whatever their modeling tool or their analytical tool well, of choice was. So, But, but yeah. it was a subset of the data. It was highly processed. It was usually summarized. Uh, so, again, a very different use case than the mm-hmm. CDP, which is designed to give access to the full customer detail directly. So in some sense, uh, if you are going to build the CDP capabilities in the data warehouse, you might still need a CDP by the strict definition and have a bi-directional exchange of data happening uh, at certain frequency, may or may not be real time. Right. Again, this, you know, the, all the work that you would have to do to make your data warehouse do what a CDP does has been done by the CDP vendors. So, you know, you could do the work again, you know, reinvent the wheel for yourself, feel free, go ahead, not my money. Uh, or you could buy a package software that, that really has all that pulled together. You know, to me, the choice is fairly obvious, uh, which, is, which makes more sense. But it's a nuanced discussion. You know, if your data warehouse already has a lot of these features, which in some cases they do, then, it, you know, it may make sense to add you know, the few missing things just to extend the data warehouse a bit to add what you need. Uh, if, on the other hand, the data warehouse doesn't come close, it's probably not a very good idea to reinvent it all from scratch. So, and I do remember seeing some SaaS companies now claiming that we could build the entire analytics as well as marketing automation function on top of your data warehouse itself. Instead of uh, us importing all the data and keeping a copy of it, we might as well just do a real-time read on your data warehouse. Is that a good idea, though, as a Martech, uh, you know, as a marketer, who's building out a technology stack, what would generally be a good approach to take? Again, uh, there's no one right answer for everyone. Well, it really does depend on your situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the thing that, that is a problem is people make a claim like that and implicitly they're saying it applies to everyone. Sure. Uh, and, and the thing about that claim is that, that often IT teams are very eager to accept that claim because they'd rather do it themselves. They want to control sure. it. Uh, for perfectly valid reasons. Um, uh, so they don't look too closely at what's actually required until it's too late. And then they mm-hmm. discover, oh my goodness, this doesn't do this, this doesn't do that, this doesn't do the other thing. So just as a, for example, 
uh, one of the companies that was making uh, the claim about, oh, you don't need a CDP, you can just use our tool to pull data from your warehouse, uh, just the other day added this whole identity management capability to actually create unified profiles. And you're like, well, you couldn't do that before, which meant you couldn't fulfill any of the requirements of a CDP with, with mm. that tool. Uh, but you, didn't, you never mentioned it until you suddenly had it. And now, of course, it's one of your big selling points. Mm. And, that, and again, there are other functionalities like real-time that still aren't really addressed by those tools. Sure. So you have to be very careful when you listen to the claims of those vendors mm. and simply have a good understanding of your requirements. And it's just a checklist. And it's like, well, this is what I need it to do. Can it do this? Can't it do this? And... You know, hopefully the vendor gives you an honest answer, but whether or not you trust the vendor's answers, you have to test it out yourself. There's really no alternative than to prove to yourself that a given system is going to meet your requirements. There's, there's simply no shortcut. doesn't matter what any vendor tells you, including the CDP vendors. Okay. I mean, you know, we certify some of the CDP vendors. Um, and, and in that case, you can be pretty sure they, they, they can do all those things because our certification process is reasonably rigorous. Um, but there are plenty out there that some of which we, we actually have classified as CDPs, but not going through the full rigorous certification. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. Uh, but it's, it's just up to the buyer. There's, there's no shortcut to doing your homework on these things. But somehow the challenge with marketers often is uh, they lack maturity. And what then tends to happen is the needs are not necessarily as articulated on day zero. The needs will evolve. So from that lens, what is a smarting thing to do when you acknowledge that I don't know everything on day zero? There really is no shortcut, okay? If you don't okay. understand your requirements, you kind of have two choices. You can take the time to understand your requirements, which we highly recommend, uh, or you can look at the checklists that we provide and that other mm -hmm. people in the industry provide that say what a CDP should do, which is to say what a CDP must be able to do to meet the requirements of most people for most common CDP use cases, and at least use that as a starting point. I mean, sure. again, I would this you know the, the consultant in me would never say just blindly pick up any list from anyone, including from the CDP Institute, and assume it's going to match your needs. Uh, but uh, the realist in me says, well. It's better than nothing. Interesting. So in terms of uh, the whole aspect of first-party data-led customer engagement, loyalty, retention, CDPs are pretty much the foundation of all of these topics. Safe thing to say? Uh, yeah, I think that is fair to say. I mean, you need that data. You want that unified customer view so that you can make your decisions about treatments across the entire customer lifecycle mm -hmm. based on complete information. The moment you make this as a foundation, this also becomes somewhere responsible for the governance and the privacy, and when it crosses over to being a little creepy. How do you decide where to draw the line? Is there, let's say, the legal guidelines to follow? Is there more ethical guidelines to follow? I'm sure there is subjectivity involved here as well. But would love to have a broad view on this from you, David. Well, there certainly are legal guidelines, and uh, those vary greatly depending on where you are and where your customers are, and sometimes with who the customers are, children, for example, are governed differently from adults, that kind of thing. And health data might be in the U.S. is governed differently from other data. Sure. Um, that, that the U.S. is kind of screwy that way. We, 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 we tend to focus on data type. Most data 
regulations, privacy regulations, really just focus on the on who the person is, not so much on the different data types. But even they classify data different degrees of sensitivity. Um, so yeah, you know, you have to get your compliance folks involved. In very simplified terms, David, if uh, let's say I'm collecting browsing behavior or search behavior from a website, which is e-commerce, and that data is getting collected in a CDP, getting stored, and potentially getting actioned also in terms of a follow-through on the abandonment. Now, is this something that I have given as a user? Is this something which the CDP would collect and I should be aware of it as a user? Well, you should have consented to it. Right, that that should have been and one of those boxes of, you consent to everything. Annoying little boxes, right? And and those boxes now um, are increasingly regulated because yeah. right now, depending on the website you go to, sometimes it's very easy to consent or not consent. You get two buttons. Other times, mm -hmm. if you want to not consent, they send you down some rabbit hole, mm -hmm. uh, which is increasingly illegal. It was always illegal, but now the regulators are actually being much more strict about it. Nice. So, you know, so that's at least, the, that's at least your cookie consent. Uh, then mm. there's other consents about other kinds of data use that again, really, you know, the, the, the fundamental rule, at least in GDPR, is you're only allowed to use the data for the purpose it was collected. So Good. it's okay for you to track what I do on the website, so long as you're using that for something directly related to that. Uh, but if you use it to target advertising to me, that's not that wasn't the purpose. My purpose in visiting your website wasn't to help you target advertising. Uh, and um, you know, right now that's exactly what's going on in Europe, and all the big companies are actually being forced to pull back and not target advertising based on web behaviors, which is a huge change and a huge threat to their business model. Which will massively affect conversion rates as well because these ads are not just potentially creepy but also fairly effective. Yeah, I mean, that data is great data. As a marketer, you really want to use it. Um, but as a consumer, it, it's creepy for it to be used. So that's the balance that's being drawn. So well, now, you know, let's just put ourselves in the shoes of a marketer. And, you know, given that we're in India, we're all going through a fairly aggressive digital transformation journey. There are a lot of digital native companies who have born uh, as a dot-com or a mobile application. But there's also a large number of companies which have traditionally been large consumer players. And now they're evolving in the world of digital transformation. So among the many things and the choices they need to make, one of them is about choosing the MarTech stack and within that, the specific subject of a customer data platform. Now, what would be the top three things that you think a marketer or a chief, let's say, information officer or a digital transformation officer keep in mind when thinking about the CDP? <laughs> it's kind of like real estate, you know, location, location, location. It's integration, integration, and integration are, are okay. the key things, you know, you you really need to be able to get that data in there. You really need to be able to get that data mm -hmm. out there. Um, beyond that, the ability to actually do the addendi resolution, mm -hmm. uh, which we do not consider a core CDP requirement. It has to happen. You absolutely have to do addendi resolution, but often there are third-party tools and third-party data resources, identity graphs, that are needed to do identity resolution well. So we say, well, it's okay to use a third-party tool because most companies don't have enough data in their own data sure. to do that well. But one way or the other, you have to be able to take the data. And once you have recognized that these three identifiers are all the same person, this phone number and this cookie and this uh, web device are all the yep. same person, then to unify that and create a custom profile. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that, that's probably the, 
after integration, the most important thing to look for. Uh, and then whatever specific requirements you have, which gets back to our earlier discussion of, well, do you even know what your requirements are? But assuming that you know what they are, uh, you want a CDP that could support that. And probably, probably they are the, the most important thing at the high level is simply to understand the scope. Do I want my CDP to also be my campaigning tool? Do I want my sure. C- CDP to, to make product recommendations, to orchestrate customer journeys? If I, if I want that, there's a whole bunch of requirements yep. that are associated with that. If I don't, because I have good tools for that already, then I can simply exclude that from consideration in my CDP selection. Fair. And in terms of uh, the whole identity resolution topic that you mentioned, there is uh, two terms I've heard there. There's deterministic and there is probabilistic. Is there, uh, let's say, something to be considered as a table stakes in today's world on these topics? Yeah, the deterministic is table stakes. And deterministic is matching that is uh, logically clear. So if I get two records in with the same email ID, I can match on the email ID. And if it's the same, it's the same. And if it's not, it's not. It's very deterministic. If I get someone who opens an email on a device, then I can match that device to that email. And that's also deterministic. However, what if I'm opening the email on a public device? What if I'm opening the email on my friend's device? So so even though theoretically, if you open the email on a device, that's a device that's associated with you. In reality, there are actually rules around that to make sure that you're not making a false match. But either, either way, it's, it's a kind of a logical thing. Usually deterministic data comes directly from the customer. So I fill out a form. I say, this is my email address. This is my postal address. This is my uh, telephone number. That's just information I give to you. You can deterministically say, okay, those are all matched together because the customer told me that they were all matched together. That's fine. Uh, probabilistic looks at behaviors and makes an estimate of whether or not these two identifiers belong to the same person. So I have my telephone and I have my laptop that I carry around with me. And if I'm frequently opening email on both devices at the same time in the same place, because I do that Mm -hmm. when I travel, if that happens enough times, I can say, yeah, these two are a pair. They're probably the same person. Uh, and again, though, if it just happens once in a blue moon, I'm probably going to throw that away because, you know, that, that just might be a fluke. A friend borrowed my uh, phone to open up their email or something like that. So the probabilistic is is usually based on observed behaviors that you determine probably are the same person. There is a slight middle ground, uh, which applies primarily to postal addresses, which uh, you might want to call similarity matching. So... They misspelled my name. They, they got my address slightly wrong. So I get two records that come in. They look like they're the same person, but they're not identical. Uh, that, that's another kind of probabilistic match. It's really very different from the other kind. Uh, so we, we tend to classify that as similarity uh, ma- as a similarity match, just to distinguish it from the true probabilistic matches. So it's a very complex topic. Now, sure. getting back to creepiness... Uh, deterministic matches are pretty safe. People yeah. understand, you know, okay, I, yeah, I, I, when I filled out my account form, I gave them this information, so they obviously know that's all me. And in fact, I'll be pretty annoyed if they don't know it's me. So I gave them that information. They should, they should yeah. use it. 
Uh, on the other hand, if it's a probabilistic match, like, well, I never told them that, you know, mm. this phone and, and this device were the same person. How'd they know that? And do I really want them to know that? I mean, I have, you know, uh, there, there are some things that I do on, on, on separate computers specifically. So I don't want that stuff matched up against the rest of my profile. Um, a lot of people do that. The other thing to bear in mind, which is often lost in this discussion, is that people have different attitudes. Some people are very privacy conscious and some people are not at all privacy conscious. Yep. And you really want to treat them differently. You know, and, and you kind of have to almost ask them. How do you find this out as to, you know, it's also a spectrum. We've seen people who cover their uh, laptop cameras with a tape so that they don't get, you know, seen. And there are others who pretty much ignore everything that's possibly getting captured about them. So do you say yeah. that take an explicit permission or take an explicit sort of stance on where he is on the spectrum? Have you seen a good approach on this? Well, I think the good approach is to be sensitive to that. Obviously, you always want to respect the customer's wishes. Um, and you pretty much have to ask them because you'll never really know if, if they've covered their laptop or not. Uh, you know, the, the other camera, may, maybe you will if you're spying on them, but hopefully you don't know that, to be honest. Um, sure. But you can, you can certainly ask them, you know, and, and, and you'll see, even in the cookie consent things, you know, you, they get, you get choices, right? You know, necessary cookies, analytical cookies, personalization yep. cookies, you can turn it on. So you know, just from that, what people are and are not, are not willing to do, and hopefully you use the data accordingly. So that kind of consent mechanism is, is going to be simple. Um, some companies will go further and have a proper uh, uh, data hub or, mm -hmm. or get dashboard that they give you where you can fill out all kinds of information. The problem is most people, of course, don't bother, but the ones who care about it will. So the fact that they'll even open up that dashboard tells you something about them. Fair enough. In some sense, uh, this is the sort of cookie permission that keeps popping up when you open a new website. Uh, what you're saying is there could be multiple different individual permissions being sought. And depending on how easily the person is giving one or more or maybe none of the permissions should say something about their concerns and privacy. And very simple question, is this information what they chose supposed to be stored in the CDP as well? It should be accessible to the CDP. It can be stored physically in the CDP. Remember, it has a customer ID on it. Yeah. yeah. Well, the CDP is perfectly capable of sorting of storing it. The CDP should be referencing it. When someone goes to pull a list, an audience list, that it should be checking, oh, did this person consent to have their data used for this particular purpose? And, and which data is being used? What, what are the segmentation criteria on this audience list? Does that include sensitive data? And, and if so, have I made sure that the people have consented to using this data for this purpose? So it doesn't have to be in the CDP, but it has to be connected to the CDP. And the CDP is actually a pretty good place for it. You spoke about the whole integration thing with the most critical requirement of a CDP. And given the whole digital transformation play that's happening, most companies have their data in very disparate systems. So in terms of, uh, you know, a standard guideline on what needs to happen before they can actually make a CDP come together, is this something that should happen that, you know, you get your data warehouse or your data lake together and then you get to a CDP stage or what should be the right sequence of getting their data architecture and data systems right? Again, most companies today will have, big companies will have a warehouse, you know, or at least a data lake. And they probably have a warehouse and they probably have several warehouses. So usually you want to pull your data for your CDP from those systems. If for some reason you don't have that available, 
or if there's a particular data source that wasn't included because nobody ever wanted it that's relevant to your CDP, then you'll pull the data directly from that source system. So you take it from which, which, whichever is the easiest place to take it from. Uh, once you do that, then you, of course, need to look at that data because the, the, the data in the data lake is raw data. The data in the data warehouse is processed data, but it might not have been processed in the way that you need it processed sure. to support the CDP. So you might not even be able to use the warehouse data. You might have to go back to the data lake or even go back to the source system to get mm. what you actually need. Uh, and data quality is a very common issue. It's, it's one of the yeah. top problems that people run into. What we find interestingly is that even though data quality is often a problem, it's rarely a cause of failure. We, we actually do some research where we look at projects that succeed and projects that struggle. And they both run into data quality problems, but it's not really something that distinguishes the successes from the failures. Basically, the, the, the people who are good at managing their data can, can resolve the data quality issues, but you have to look at them. You can't ignore them. You do have to resolve them. Uh, once you have your data quality under control and you understand what data you can actually bring into the CDP and it's, it's uh, reliable and has adequate coverage, you have enough people sure. have that data element available, you know, then you can begin to set up your CDP and there are decisions to be made on structuring the data depending on how you're going to use it. So even though the CDP is extremely flexible, you still are going to have to make some choices based on what your use cases are. Again, gets back to that question of understanding your requirements. It's very dangerous to go into a big project like this uh, with, without really understanding your requirements. And uh, is that what then would differentiate the projects that succeed with the ones that struggle? The clarity of requirements? Yes. Actually, clarity of requirements is probably the biggest differentiator now. Mm -hmm. And you step back and say, what causes clarity of requirements, right? And the answer to that one is it's user engagement. And okay. the projects that struggle are ones where they didn't engage the end users, they didn't engage the IT department, they didn't engage the senior management. So that's not uncommon. What happens mm -hmm. is somebody gets excited about the CDP and they form a little project team that says, go out and buy one. And that little project team hopefully goes out and at least does some initial research asking users, oh, what do you want to do? What can't you do? What, what, what can't you do that, that you might be able to do if you had a CDP? And they get some answers. Oh. Uh, but then they go off in there, and six months later, they come up with an answer, right? And they never talk to the users in between. And then six months later, when they pop up and they have this kickoff meeting with the users, the users look at them like with this confused, like, what is this thing? You know, why, I, you know, I know nothing about this. And now, now you're offering me this new tool that's going to change my entire job. It's clearly going to be more work for me. It requires me to, to change everything that I do, all my business processes. Why do you think I would do this? And what's the advantage? So that's not a good way to do things. So you really need to keep the users engaged through the whole process so that as the selection team is learning about different CDPs and making judgments and choices about what's important and what's not important, the users are also engaged so they, first of all, can give their input into what's important and not important because they kind of are the ones who understand that, but also they themselves get educated. So sure. six months later, when you have that kickoff meeting, they're like, yes, this is the tool that we've been looking at. We're very excited. Yeah. You know yeah. exactly how we're going to use it. We just can't wait to get started. It's a very different meeting if you've kept your users engaged. And again, that shows up very mm -hmm. clearly in our research. That's the difference between the ones who do well and the ones who do poorly. 
is that user engagement. So one of the things we see happen every once in a while uh, in the market that we're in is people look at uh, CDPs and they want to imagine possibilities once they look at the capabilities. So the tool and uh, tool ends up coming before the strategy comes in and they'll, they'll shop around with multiple vendors, look at different possibilities and then try to form a view on what the strategy should look like, which in my impression could be a little, you know, the incorrect way of doing this, but what's your impression? Is this pretty common? Well, yes, yeah, sadly it is common because as you say, people just get excited and they see the tactical yeah. possibilities and they don't really understand uh, why they're doing it from a strategic point of view. So we always talk about uh, three, three questions. What do I want to do? Which is based on what my business strategy is, my overall business strategy, not, even my, not my technology strategy, but how does my company mm -hmm. make money? Uh, and what my resources are. So what do I want to do and what I can do? And between the two of those, the intersection of those is the marketing programs or the business programs I want to run. Uh, What's stopping me from doing it? So I look at the programs I want to run and then I analyze, well, what, are, what can I do today that stops me from doing those things? So that's a needs analysis. It says, okay, mm -hmm. I need to combine data from these two systems, which I can't do today. Um, and then what's the best solution? What's the best way to resolve the, to, to get it done? Uh, and then it could be a different vendor. It could be a different class of system. Again, maybe you don't need a CDP. Maybe all you need to do is extend your data warehouse a bit. Mm -hmm. um, so, so those are the three questions that people should ask. And strategy is absolutely up there right at the top of, as part of the first question. And you mentioned this whole integration being critical, which means the number of uh, plug-and-play connectors you have with legacy data sources. As a CDP, that might just become a differentiator because... You can jolly well very easily bring in data from maybe some of the raw sources, sometimes the data lakes. Yeah, the connectors are critical. And, uh, you know, some CDPs have hundreds of connectors, literally. Uh, others yeah. have a handful. This this gets back to your vertical uh, CDPs. Yeah. You know, do I have Because it, it really doesn't matter how many connectors you have. It, what matters is do I have the connectors you need? I need. So, yeah. so if I have three source systems, I don't care about the other 297 yep. connectors. I care about the three connectors for my source systems. If you don't have one, then I'm in trouble. So often, as I say, in a vertical industry, if you're in hospitality, you really want to connect it to the reservation system. Sure. Not just any reservation system, but your reservation system. And if you're in telco, you want to connect it to your call detail records and so on, whatever the particular operational systems are in, in your industry. So you have to look at both the number of connectors and then your connectors. And then if it doesn't have the connectors that you need in particular, the secondary question is, well, how hard is it to create that connector? Most of the CDP vendors today will have an open API. Mm -hmm. So you can write a connector fairly easily, um, but fairly easily still is work and still is a technical yeah. task that requires some technical resource. In some sense, let's say with all of this exercise, you've chosen your CDP. But then typically it'll be a project which would last all of this data collection, unification and effort would take a long time sometimes. So what is a smart approach on establishing some use cases early on, showcasing some ROI early on, and then finding the uh, support to continue investing in all of these integrations? Or do you think this is like a you know single large project that should happen at one level before you can start deploying anything out of it? No, no, the, 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 the first option is by far the most uh, approved of, of doing things incrementally. We talk about um, crawling to reach the low-hanging low fruit and eating it one bite at a time. You know, there's all many different metaphors that people use uh, to get across that notion of incremental deployment. Um, 
the problem with that, and it's not even a problem, it's the right way to do it, but the, the mistake that people make is they say, well, I'm just going to define a few simple use cases, and I'm going to select my tool based on those few simple use cases. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be great for those first simple use cases, but then when you go on to the more advanced use cases, if you didn't build those requirements into your selection process, you may find, well, this CDP vendor doesn't do the things that I need for those advanced use cases. And I never even bothered to check because I wasn't ready for that yet. Well, now I'm ready. And guess what? I bought the wrong CDP. So even though you want to deploy incrementally and start with a few sources and uh, a few data points and a few functionalities, uh, you want to, at least in your requirements, look beyond that and make sure that you're actually checking out. The other thing that people don't necessarily talk about is you also want to limit your deployment to a few departments because you have to train every department. You have to change their processes. So those first few deployments, try to find something that only one department is involved in and actually try to find several use cases that involve that same single department. So you really get that department up and running and trained and understanding how the CDP works and uh, adapting their business processes and kind of just just get them really humming. Mm. And then go on to a set of use cases that involve a second department. Possibly that department working with the first department so they can cross train. Uh, But if they're totally separate, that's okay too. But try to to do it one department at a time as well because that's Mm going to make your training a lot easier. And people don't talk about that quite as much as they talk about some of the other functionalities. You know, but since you say that there are industry vertical-based CDPs and there are people who have experience with industry verticals, is there like a you know use case library of some sort which becomes a safe place to refer to that this is the expansive list of all the use cases that potentially need in a year from now? And let me just make sure that my CDP is covering all of this because if I do write it from scratch, I won't necessarily be able to imagine everything. Yeah, we actually have at the CDP Institute, www.cdpinstitute.org, uh, a use case library. Yeah, that, uh, is is a pretty good source. I think there's 42 in there. Um, this is industry vertical wise, or is there a different uh, a different way to kind of classify these? That's an excellent question. We have them classified more by maturity level. So there are use cases that are about data assembly. There are use cases about analytics. There are use mm-hmm. cases about outbound campaigns mm-hmm. and real time interaction during mm-hmm. your orchestration. That's the primary way that we've classified them. I believe some of them are industry specific. Um, what happens? when you look at the use cases is that it's usually the same functionality, even though the details for a given industry are different, right? Sure. So the classic CDP use case is combining uh, data from my e-commerce platform with my retail store. All right. Sure. I want to know, I want to know what somebody bought in both places specifically for retargeting. Someone look, goes online, they, they look at something, they don't buy it online. I'm going to, I put them in a retargeting stream and then they go to the retail store and they buy it. I want to know they bought it in the retail store so I can stop retargeting them so I don't chase them around. Classic CDP use case, classic marketing problem. All right, so that's a retail use case, right? And it says, but guess what? It can be the same for, um, for telco. I, somebody looked at this particular feature. Should I add you know, international calling? And they looked at it online, but then they called up the call center and they added it. Well, so, well, I got to stop retargeting them, so I have to share that data with between those two systems. Those are not retail systems; those are that's a CRM system and a web system. 
did they look at booking a flight to a certain location online and then they go to the airline site and book it, a separate system. But again, it's, it's so conceptually, those are very, very similar use cases, even though the actual systems involved are different and the industries involved are different. So the use cases tend to be pretty generic. It's really up to you to say, well, okay, what would be the equivalent in my industry of this use case? So good idea to refer to the library, but then also adapt it to potentially your industry and play from there. You know, David, it's been a great conversation, but I can't complete this without talking about the latest topic that's at, you know, in, in all of our faces, the whole subject of artificial intelligence. You know, what is it that you feel? Artificial what? I haven't heard of this thing. Tell me about it. Hey, all right. I, really? What's that about? Okay. You're obviously, you know, messing with me right now. But, you know, what do you think is going to change with respect to how CDPs get deployed or how CDPs deliver ROI when you start layering all of that intelligence on it? Well, you, you're obviously, I'm, I'm kidding. Um, so AI will, it'll do a few things, okay? Um, actually, it'll do, it'll do many things, not just a few things. It'll do pretty much everything. Most of the discussion about AI has been around content creation, which is huge. So being able to really create tailored content at the individual level, using the AI to actually create that content. And then there's been a fair amount of discussion taking it up one level to use the AI to actually design your marketing campaigns, your journey orchestration flows. And we are seeing quite a few companies at least claiming to do this. We suspect they probably actually are doing it uh, pretty well. There's no reason not. That's actually been something that has been done using AI for quite a few years, it's not something that j just got invented by the generative AI systems like ChatGPT, mm -hmm. um, as has been copywriting for that matter, but it's gotten much better the latest generation of systems. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, has content creation abilities that are quite amazing. The other application that gets a little less discussion has to do with the data management side of things. And that's another thing that can be quite revolutionary because we talked earlier about all the work involved in preparing your data for your CDP, checking oh. quality, checking the data sources. We didn't talk about it, but going out and looking at other data sources. This is a big issue with privacy as well. I need to know where all my customer data is. All the personal information is in all my systems, which I may not have a complete catalog of. Well, the AI is great for looking at those systems and understanding their contents and saying, oh, yeah. You know, there, there's personal information here. There's personal information there. This is what's in this field. The field name doesn't really adequately describe what's in the system, but the AI can actually examine the contents of the data files. So the AI can do that. It can do quality work quite, quite effectively, actually. AI can be very helpful with identity resolution. Again, it's been around using AI for that for a while, but I have no doubt whatsoever that the latest generations of AI make that vastly more possible. So the AI should have a major impact on reducing the effort in mm -hmm. setting up your CDP in the first place and building that data model. Um, we haven't seen too much about using it for use case development, although I suspect that we'll see that as well. We actually are, at the Institute, are examining using AI to develop training materials, which sure. would kind of come close to use case development now that I think about it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, so and that, that is a, that is a huge uh, potential as well, because one of the big problems in the industry, as of course, you know, is that people need training. They really don't understand how to use this. It comes back to that requirements problem. 
um, and building training courses the traditional fashion where you hire a subject manager um, and they build out a course and it, it costs, it's, it's very expensive and very time consuming and your courses then are outdated, you know, six months before they're even published. Um, so we think that there's a lot of potential to use AI actually to create almost on-demand training materials as well. Uh, mm -hmm. and that's something that we're looking at very uh, aggressively right now because there's just this huge need for people to understand how to use these tools because the, you know, everything's changing, right? Due to AI and due to all the other technologies. So even if you were perfectly trained and brilliantly trained two years ago, there's a lot of stuff you don't know now. That you have to learn really quickly. You know, on that note, I think the, the only last question I would have for you, David, is in your impression, in your experience, what's your favorite implementation case study that these guys have really done a great job at deploying the CDP well? And by that, I mean a great use case as a consumer experience outcome. You know, my favorite use case is a very, very old one. No one's done a better job recently? It just stuck in my head. Uh, you know, probably it's because uh, I've seen so many, but that, that one was, you know, made an impression because it was the first one. It's like, you know, mm -hmm. like your mother's face, right? It's the first thing you see. Um, was a company that was a gaming company. And the problem with gaming companies is the game developers add new features all the time. They don't really bother to tell anybody about it. So it's really hard for the analysts, for the, pro the, the product managers to understand what the new features are doing, if they're effective or not effective. And so the CDP system ingested the, the logs of, of the user sessions. It was just one data source. But they were able to actually analyze it, which they couldn't do before. So they could see, oh, this new feature came in and this is how users behaved. So it was a one data source, set it up, I think in a day or so, you know, this was really quite simple to set up and they got huge insights and they got huge value from it. So sometimes it's as simple as that, you know, just having access to data you don't have access to, you didn't have access to before can be huge. Very interesting. Thank you so much for helping us out demystify CDPs for all of our audience, David. It's been a great conversation. Thank you so much. My pleasure, husband. I enjoyed it.